Amen. Amen. Well, good morning once again. Welcome to the Gathering Church. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. So excited to be with you this morning. Man, we're in a great series right now focusing on what does it look like to be united as the body of Christ and so excited to share with you guys this morning. Before we do, I want to tell you about a couple of things that we've got going on. Number one, it is small group season here at the Gathering and we have got so many groups, more groups than we've had in a very long time. And what I'm trying to tell you when I say that is, there is a place for you. There's a place for you here at the gathering. We say that family is our culture. And we know that when we engage in life-giving, authentic community, family is the culture that we build. So we want you to be a part of that. We've got a place for you, man. We would love for you to check that out. Go right across the hall after service and we'll show you what small groups we have. Again, there is a place for you. Speaking of creating a place, man, I am so excited that we're gonna be creating a place for our students here soon. Yeah. So anyway, man, it's, so, it's, it's been a long time coming and we are so stoked to be able to create this space for them. And so here's what I need. We need people. We need people that are gonna be willing to step in and invest and say that these are some awkward years. Let me help you make it a little less awkward. These are some hard years. Let me make it, help you make it a little less difficult. So if you're interested in being involved in our student ministry, um, you can go to gatherashville.org students and uh, get signed up. We'll get information to you soon. I'm hoping to have an informational meeting in a couple of weeks, and then we want to get this thing off the ground before Easter. So let's go. Let's do it, church. We got this. Hey, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into our sermon for the day. God, we come before you. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. And God, we thank you that you are a God that created a space and a place for us. And God, we pray that today... Man, as we continue to lean into this question of what does it look like to be unified as the body of Christ, God, that you would unify us, that you would pour out your spirit on us, God, and allow us to live out the example of your son, Jesus, God, and just love and care for others. Lord, I pray for this sermon today that uh, you would remove anything that's from me and not from you, and God, replace it with your words and your thoughts. God, we love you. We give you this time, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, like I said, we are in the middle of this series called United, where we're asking the question, what does it look like to live in unity, to live united as the body of Christ, to be a people who are together? Unity is actually a pretty important topic. And and I know this because Jesus talked about it a lot. And in fact, he prayed about it specifically, actually specifically prays for unity to be a characteristic of his people, of his followers. And honestly, it was just a few hours before he would be arrested and then ultimately tried and executed for our sins. He prays this specific prayer in John 17. It says, my prayer is not for them alone in in that he's referring to his disciples, his apostles, the guys that have been riding with him for the last couple years. They've gone fishing together. They're tight. He's praying for them. But he says, not only for them, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And that's all of us. That's this body of Christ that was built out of that moment and continued forward to today. Me and you, all of us, he's praying for us specifically. And he says that all of them, the disciples, all of us that would come, all of them would be one. And he goes on, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He says, I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me 
and have loved them even as you have loved me. He prays this prayer, the specific prayer, right in front of his, his closest friends and followers, very specifically asking for unity. Why? Why unity? Well, I think he prays this because just a few hours earlier, they were gathered for a meal, and he was telling them what was to come. He was telling them what was going to happen. He was serving them and washing their feet. In the midst of all of that, a couple of them were arguing about who would be the greatest in his kingdom. And I think he saw it and knew, man, this, this unity thing is going to be hard because we all have this desire for greatness inside of us. And then just a little while before that, if you go back a few chapters in scripture, there's actually a moment where the mother of James and John approaches Jesus. And she says, hey, uh, Messiah, can we have a little old chat? Just want a moment of your time. Uh, you know my boys, James and John. They're good boys, right? They're good. They're good boys. Uh, I would love it just, you know, as a personal favor. If, if they could sit on your right and on your left it, when, you know, when you take over the world. And he's like, woman, you have no idea what you're asking for. And the husband said, please don't write that down. It's not something that you should fit in a normal conversation. Okay, but he, he sees that there's this, this selfishness in us that wants to be great, that wants to be somebody important. And we, he knows that at times we're gonna do that at any cost. This argument at the table or this mother trying to meddle in her son's I mean, it's like, mom, you called my work? Really? You know, like, she's trying to meddle and get them higher up ranking and so they can be seen and so they can be heard and so they can be somebody. But what is Jesus actually praying for? Complete oneness. And what I think we overlook sometimes is that this is actually a big, very bold, very crazy kind of prayer. It's not just a simple like, man, I hope they get along. God, I hope that they can, they can like each other, that they can be nice to each other, that no one's going to push them down on the playground. No, this is complete oneness because he says, Father, I pray that they will be one as you and I are one. They and you and I and me. Do you know what kind of unity that is? It is complete and perfect unity. There is zero division in the Godhead, and he is praying that there will be zero division in the church body. That's crazy, right? Like, this is big, bold prayer, and that's what he wants for us. And how, how's that going for us these days? Why does, and why? Why is this such an important thing to Jesus, right? Why is unity such a big deal? It's for our comfort, so that we can move through life easily, so that we don't have to have conflict, so that we don't ever have to have difficult conversations or sit in an awkward moment with somebody? No. Why does he want us to be unified? Because he says when we are, that the world out there will see him in a tangible way. That that is the proof that Jesus is who he said he is and that God sent him to do what he said he's going to do. We are called to be unified because unity would be the proof that he is real. And as Pastor John Mark said last weekend, unity is our clearest presentation of the gospel. Jesus knew how important this would be because the world at the time, you have to understand, was very divided. They had this Israelite people who was living under strict Roman oppression. We've got all these other nations that are around the outside of this whole situation trying to fight for more power and more authority, trying to come into different people groups and subdue them and claim more authority and more power and more notoriety. And the world was so divided. There's all this division and fear and mistrust and everybody's out for conquest to build their own kingdom. And I look at these passages and I'm so thankful that the world is not like that anymore. It took first service a little longer to get that. So good job, guys. I think they're still kind of asleep a little bit. Here's the thing. But why is it so hard? 
Why is it so hard? And it's because, I can tell you, it's because division is everywhere. It's everywhere. Think about about the last time you went to a family dinner. I'm not talking about the people that live in your house. I'm talking about everybody, everybody, you know, everybody, your mom, your cousins, everybody. The last time you went to a family dinner. When I think about that, I think about going to family Christmas dinner at my grandmother's house when I was growing up. And it was crazy. It was this thing. Everybody came. She had four kids and seven to 10 grandkids at the time when I started remembering these things, depending on where we are on the timeline. And uh, we would go to her house and her living room would just be, I mean, stacked full of presents. It looked like somebody tipped over a Toys R Us. And it was amazing. And I would walk in there and we would see this like display, right? And it was in the living room. We're never allowed to go in the living room. So it was a fancy living room. The only company could come in and we had to go in the den. Anyway, I'm not traumatized. So we were not allowed to go in there. And so we wanted to go in there so bad. So we'd get there and we're like, guys, let's open presents. And then they got the adults, right? The adults. And they want to do what? They want to sit down and eat dinner first right? And so immediately you've got this division. It's the kids versus the adults. And we're crying and we're screaming and they're mad at us and they're like lobbying for food first and we're lobbying for presents first. And now in their defense, I get it. They knew if we went into the living room and got the presents first, that meal was never happening. You know, we were going to be in there. We we're going to be crying about putting the stickers on the plastic things, all that kind of stuff. But in our defense, in the kids' defense, we knew that if we sat down at that table that the conversations were going to start and they were going to be talking about politics and sports and religion. We were never going to get to go to the present. So really who's right? Obviously the kids, but again, I'm not, I'm not mad about it. Division is everywhere. And here's the sad truth. We live in a world that that's the goal. We live in a world that seeks to divide us. We live in a world that loves to see people separated. Let me show you what I mean. Check this out. This is a meme that was popular a couple years ago, still circulates a little bit now, and it says this. It says, to prove that people will argue about anything, here is a rock. Okay? It has a thousand comments. One thousand comments and 210 shares. The first comment says this. It says, that's a stone, not a rock. Fight me. And it has 32 replies and 150 reactions. Because the world loves division. It loves to create division. There's games around division, right? Right? Who's, on the, who's pulling for the Kansas City Taylor Swifts? <laughs> Got some Niners fans out there? Right side of history? All right. What else? I mean, there's so many things that seek to divide us. What else do we have here? Oh, apparently there's division between our screen and the projector. There it is. What about this one? A lot of y'all are like, guys, it's the answer's cheer wine. <laughs> this one, <laughs> Dr. Pepper. This one, I gotta say, all of y'all that ruined my group texts, not about it. I'm not here for it. All right, keep, let's keep going, let's keep going. This, this divides households. Literally, literally, there's one bathroom in my house that is an under bathroom, and there's one bathroom in my house that is an over bathroom. I'm serious, it is ridiculous. All right, let's move on. Over's the right, by the way. What about this one? Okay, first service got this quicker. It's sweet tea and unsweet tea. One of them is the delicious nectar of the gods, right? And the other one is dirty leaf water. <laughs> All right, what do we? Yeah, drums or flats, right? Today's the day that we'll be seeing a lot about that. Flats is the right answer. Okay, moving on. This one's close to home, right? A little touchy, a little barbecue sauce, right? Tomato, mustard, vinegar. It's mustard, by the way. What else, what else? No, 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 no. Nope. 
Man, the world loves to divide us, right? It loves to create division among us. It loves to see us torn apart. Let me show you again. This game right here, debatable. The slogan says, 200 reasons to argue disguised as a game. And then on the bottom of the box there, it says, pick a side and then pick a fight. And I got to tell you, I've played this game before and I played it against my will. I didn't want to. And I got paired up myself versus uh, my wife's grandmother. And the rules of the game say that you have to vote not with which side of the argument you want, but who puts on the better argument. Now, I don't want to brag, but I beat her handily. Here's the problem. Everybody voted against me. Why? Because they didn't want me to get another point in the game. And I know I sound like a crazy person, like a conspiracy theorist, but they confessed. They confessed that they were sabotaged. You know what we were arguing over? There is a right answer. There's patent drawings to prove it. Anyway, move on. Moving on. The world, here's, here's what I learned from all that. Our world has gamified division. And we love to play. It's gamified division. And we love to play this game. You want me to prove it to you? I posted a question on Facebook the other day. And I said, what are some silly things that divide us? And that post in two days got 79 comments. It is the most engaged with Facebook post that I have posted in five years. Because the world has gamified division And man, we love to play. We love it. But can I tell you the truth? If we want to see our city, our neighborhoods, and our families reach with the gospel of Jesus, then they need to see our church unified. They need to see unity where there was division because a divided world desperately, desperately needs a united church. When we unite around the mission, the mission of Jesus, man, we can spread the gospel like never before. So how do we live in this unity, right? This complete oneness. Step one last week, Pastor John Mark talked about getting rid of offense. And man, we got to start there. We have to get rid of offense. If you didn't get a chance to see that message, I would say, go back and look at it. Head to our website, find that sermon. It was incredible. Next week, we'll talk about what it means to unite around the mission, the mission of Jesus. But today, we're going to talk about what it means to live and practice unity in our relationships. Because I believe that as we build unified relationships and unified communities, we will see a unified church. When we commit to unity in our relationships, that is going to continue to spread. So what does it look like? What does that actually mean? I have good news and bad news. The good news is it's very simple. The bad news is it is not easy. So how do we live in unity? Simply, we commit to unity now. We commit to unity now. What do I mean by that? We choose to remain a united people before division ever has a chance to creep in. We make the decision to live as a unified body before we ever need to make the decision. We choose unity before division has an opportunity to creep in. A few years ago, my wife and I were on staff at another church. We were at the annual staff Christmas party. And uh, at this staff Christmas party, we got to play some games. And there are some fun, silly, like upfront stage games where everybody kind of picks a side and cheers, you know, just to create some division. And so they, uh, they, they picked us 
to play this game. And by picked, I don't mean we raised our hand. They told us, you guys are playing this game. And so we, I, I like excitedly walk up to stage. She reluctantly follows me. Um, I love these kind of things. She does not, which is why we did not volunteer. But anyway, so we get up on stage and what we find out is we have to wrap a Christmas gift together, which doesn't sound hard until you realize that what they mean by together is we each get to use one hand. So we had to stand arm in arm like this and then use one hand to wrap this gift. So the person who's hosting the game says go and we get after it. I mean, we don't even mess around. We start. We're doing the things we're, I mean, you know, I feel like we're kind of struggling a little bit, but it's turning out kind of okay. Like it's not bad, right? We're getting there. We're getting there. We like finish. We slide it across the table and we are done. We're like, okay, that's passable. I wouldn't put it under my tree, but it's, it's passable. And then we look to the right and left and we see these other three couples that are still frantically trying to make it even cover the box. Like, it's, just, it's embarrassing for them, honestly. And so um, at the end of it, they all finish up. And it was one of those moments where the host doesn't even put it to an audience vote. She's just like, it was, doesn't matter. you guys win. And we're like, yeah, we do. It was like not even a question. And so what's crazy is here's what we didn't know. We didn't know that we were picked for a very specific reason. We didn't know that we were volunteered for this game because of how much I love games and how competitive I am and how much she is the opposite. We were chosen because they wanted to see a fight. They wanted to see us bicker on stage and let everybody laugh at us. That's what we didn't know. Here's what they didn't know. We had a game plan, not for this specific game, because again, this was off the cuff, but we have a literal plan for when we play games. And it is this, when we're playing games, Ashley follows whatever I say without question. I'm serious. Now, don't write that down and don't try to use it in other areas of your life. Like, don't get so crazy. It's only for games, okay? It only applies in that one situation. But um, we won, and that's why we won. They wanted to see a fight, but they didn't know that we made a decision. Because here's what I know now. A firm commitment to unity will always suffocate seeds of division. We choose now. We choose unity before division has an opportunity. A firm commitment to unity will always suffocate seeds of division. Paul tells us this in Ephesians. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been, to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We live in a world that is eager to create division, but we are called to be eager to pursue unity and to pursue this oneness. We must commit to unity now. Like I said, simple, but far from easy. It's far from easy. So how do we actually do this? How do we live out this kind of unity in our relationships? Well, let me give you three ways. First, we have the same mindset as Jesus. We have to have the same mindset as Jesus. Paul impacts this as well in Philippians chapter 2, Starting in verse one, it says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul's telling us that Jesus has given us so much. And as I did some study on this passage, I realized that when Paul says if in all these situations, he kind of actually means since or because. He's saying like, since you have experienced this, since you have this encouragement from being united with Christ, because you have this comfort from his love, because you have walked in this compassion and this tenderness, because of all of this, please just get along with each other and be united. You have so many things to be thankful for and united around. Like literally, I hear Paul saying it kind of like that in my head. We've gotten so many awesome blessings from the Lord. And so because of that, we should see through the eyes of Jesus. We should have the same mindset as Jesus. We've experienced all of this just undeserved favor. And the calling is to see people the way that Jesus does. And how does Jesus see them? Jesus sees people as people worth serving. As people worth serving. So this brain surgeon walks into a coffee shop, right? And he gets up to the front of the counter. He's frustrated because he's got places to go. He's important. He's got things to do. He barks out his order to the barista. The barista, like, puts in the thing and, like, passes the cup down and then realizes it's time for his break. And he's like, oh, thank heavens. And so he, like, walks away and goes and makes his own drink. And as they're heading out, they both reach for the condiment bar at the same time. And they make eye contact, right? And this brain surgeon goes, I never give way to fools. And the barista goes, I always do. (laughs) Jesus saw people as people were serving. He was willing to humble himself on our behalf. He was willing to look and see us, even though... Sometimes it seems like we're not worth seeing, right? We overlook people, and yet Jesus sees all of us. He sees us as people worth serving. And this is Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord of all creation. Scripture says he has the name that is above every other name. And he humbled himself and took on the nature of a servant. He saw a need, and he met it. This is why we believe here that serving is our calling, because it is the example that Jesus gave to us. Serving others builds bridges. It breaks down barriers and it builds trust. In short, man, when we serve people, it creates unity. And as an aside, can I just add in, if someone tries to serve you, you should let them. Like humble yourself in that way. It's the same thing because when you don't, you actually create division where there could be unity. We have to be humble enough to serve and humble enough to be served. Jesus was the same. Yeah, he came to serve, but he also allowed other people to serve him. This is just one more way to be humble. Jesus saw people as worth serving. He also saw them as worth pursuing. He says he, he meets us where we are. This verse says that he was found as in appearance as a man. And for some of us, we're like, yeah, that makes sense. Like we're, um, you know, it's humankind. Like that's what people look like. But, but that's not what Jesus' state was. He wasn't a man. He came to us. He gave up everything. He gave up this power. He gave up his glory. He gave up his throne next to God the Father to come down and meet us where we are. He saw us as people worth pursuing. And when we do the same thing, when we meet people where they are instead of trying to drag them to where we are, it says that they're people worth loving and people worth pursuing. And it tells them you are so much more than a problem to be solved. And that is the way that Jesus sees people. He sees us as people worth serving, as people worth pursuing. And finally, he sees them as people worth fighting for. He gave his life to conquer sin and death so that we could have life with him, so that we could be unified with him. 
are we willing to make the difficult sacrifices that it takes to show people that they're worth fighting for? Are we willing to do what it takes to show them that they're worth it? Are we willing to step into difficult situations and help bring people out of their despair and of their depths? Are we willing to do the hard things and to have the same mindset as Jesus? So we have the same mindset as Jesus. Number two is we fight for unity, not for victory. We fight for unity, not for victory. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? I was talking to the worship team this morning, and somebody's like, oh, like the Hunger Games? And I said, no, those are peacekeepers, and they're the problem. Scripture says, blessed are the peacemakers. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? A peacemaker is someone who is actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another. A peacemaker is somebody who goes and does, not who waits and, and in silence. We're not talking about peacekeepers or peace wishers. We're not talking about peace hopers or peace dreamers or peace lovers or peace talkers. We're talking about peacemakers because here's the truth about peace. Peace must be made. Peace must be made. It never happens by chance. Peacemakers are not passive. They take the initiative. They're up and they're doing. Peacemakers are willing to step in. Peacemakers are the ones who actively pursue peace. And they pursue more than just the absence of conflict. Peacemakers don't just avoid strife. In fact, sometimes in order to make peace, you might have to create a little bit of strife. Peacemakers aren't simply seeking to appease warring parties. They're not looking to accommodate everyone. Peacemakers are willing to have the difficult conversations. They're willing to step into the awkward, to clear the air, to circle back, and to pursue actual and true resolutions. Peacemakers lay down their pride and they pick up the burdens of others. Peacemakers are willing to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and what can I do to make it right? Peacemakers don't stand on issues. They walk with people. Peacemakers read less minds and ask more questions. Peacemakers see unity, not conformity, as the end goal. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Are we fighting for unity or are we fighting for victory? Are we fighting for oneness or are we fighting to win? What are we fighting for? Because we're all fighting. We already talked about that. We love it. We have the same mindset as Jesus. We fight for unity, not for victory. And finally, we go first. We Go first. If you want to see unity happen in your relationships, if we want to see unity happen in our communities and our small groups and, and in the areas that we enter into in all of our relationships, you want to see unity happen, then someone's got to be willing to go first. And here's my advice to you. You go first. You go first. I get it. I get it. Going first is hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. Nobody wants to go first. Nobody wants to go first. Because what if they don't notice? You know, what if I went first and they don't even see it? What if, what if they don't respond the way that I hope they will? What if nothing changes at all? What if I put myself out there and they throw it back in my face? What if this whole peacemaker thing is all for nothing? Can I tell you? It's never for nothing. 
scripture says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You wanna be blessed? You wanna be a child of God? Be a peacemaker. Be somebody who pursues peace, who pursues unity. But I do understand, I do get it, it is difficult. It is difficult to go first because it makes us vulnerable. It makes us feel exposed. It makes us feel open to attack. And I know that the world will tell us that that's a weakness, that vulnerability is, makes you weak, but we know. The truth is that vulnerability is our strength. So go first. And don't go first because it will change them. Go first because it will change you. Go first because it will change your heart. When we go first, it changes our heart. It changes our mindset into that mindset of Jesus. It allows us to see people like he sees them. And it will make us more like Jesus because he went first. Jesus went first. Scripture says in 1 John 4, 19, that we love because he first loved us. He loved us first. When we were far from him, he loved us first. And it was his love, this love, this example of what it means to love that actually gave us the capacity to love at all. He went first. So go first. And then after you go first, sit back and wait for them to respond. No, don't. Go first. And after you go first, keep going first. Keep going first. Jesus went first. He came to this earth. He made this ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. He gave his life so that our sins could be forgiven and washed away. And there was a large group of people that went all in, that followed him, that gave their lives to serve him. And there was a large group of people that rejected everything that he said and walked away. And when we go first, we can expect the same thing. There are people that are going to respond. There are people that are going to lean in and unity is gonna be established, built or restored. But there are gonna be situations and times when some will reject you and walk away. But can I encourage you in those moments to keep going first, to keep loving, to keep serving, to keep seeing people and keep going first? Let's be a go first people. Let's be a people who fix our eyes on Jesus and the kingdom that he is building. Let's be a people that do everything we can to establish unity where there once was division, that pursues relationships where there was isolation, that builds bridges instead of separation, and who is willing to walk into the messiness and the awkwardness of humanity and rebuild what is broken. Let's go first. Let's go first even if they don't respond. Let's go first even if they never change. Let's go first even when they don't reciprocate. Let's go first when they don't acknowledge our existence or what we've done. Let's go first, even when they don't notice. Because there is someone that will notice. Your father in heaven will notice. And he will say, well done. Let's build this kingdom together. But you know who else is going to notice? We have an enemy. And that enemy is going to notice. He will take notice and he will flee from us. Because when we are united, unified and united as a church body, when we are unified as the church, as the body of Christ, when we live out this kind of unity, the enemy has no foothold or ground on which to stand against the power of God that is working in us. Let's go first and let's keep going first. So let's live united. 
to have the same mindset as Jesus. Let's fight for unity over victory. And let's go first. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to gather together. Lord, to experience your love in this place, to experience your call to unity, God, this this body of believers that you've put together. God, allow us to just live in that oneness, in that unity. God, let us be a people that commit today to live united. Let's be a people that have your mindset, that see people the way that you see people. God, let's be a people that fight for unity and not for victory. And let's be a people that go first, God. Would you allow us to be that? God, we thank you for this community. And Lord, we just pray that it's our unity that reflects your truth. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.